this is Splice. You're listening to a recorded session from Splice Beta 2022 in Chiang Mai. We've edited this, but only slightly. Hey, this is Alan from Splice. This is a session featuring Kirill Lahiri, the Investment Director for Asia at the Media Development Investment Fund on how to model out your business plan for investors and how to make that your North Star. So consider this session and myself as Sasha's teaching assistant. <laughs> I think you'll find a lot of areas overlapping between what Sasha said, which was from a slightly more 30,000 foot point of view, and some of the questions that we are going to ask ourselves in this session. There will be some overlaps, there will be some newer ones, and we will kind of dig deeper into some of the others. But largely the intention is that now you know what, how to approach funding, how to approach investors, etc. But what is it that investors really want to know from you? As they say, the devil lies in the details. And that's exactly what investors want, details. Why do they want it? I think Sasha mentioned two things. One is the dependence on numbers-based decision-making for your own internal purposes. Because when you start plotting your strategy, you have to translate that strategy into numbers. And those numbers could be numbers based on audiences or numbers based on revenues. But whatever it is, you have to ultimately measure it and then kind of move along a path, predetermined path that you have decided as per those measurements. The second reason is very simply very practical. How will you ensure that your investors succeed? You have to succeed and your investors, both of you have to succeed. One can't succeed without the other. And for this to happen, you have to be asking yourselves many questions along, around your business model. Now there are two things over here. And I'm going to put this question out into the crowd. Do you know the difference between a business model and modeling for the business? Or financial model as we call it. Essentially, business model is the model that you've decided to follow, whether you'll be an ad-led business, subscription-led, a mix of the two, maybe events, maybe many other things. But there is a model to your business that you will utilize certain levers to grow. Now, that translates into your financial model because the business model that you choose translates into the sources of revenue. The sources of revenue translate into, obviously, what goes into your top line. And then, depending on those sources of revenue, you'll have to stack up on talent within your organization. You'll have to stack up on technology. You'll have to stack up on many other operational matters. So those make up the costs. So the entire financial model kind of gets translated from the business model into something which is very, very measurable. So one of the things that I want to do is I want to encourage people to keep asking questions. Because 45 minutes is not enough time period for us to really go through some exercise and developing an Excel model, etc. That I will kind of perhaps showcase towards the end of it, what a couple of uh, financial models look like. But questions, because everything arises from the why of why are you doing this business and why are you raising money? Why did you approach somebody for fundraising? Why are you asking for that amount of money? What will you do if that ha doesn't happen? I mean, it's, everything has to do with questions. Unless you question yourself, you will never ever get towards 
pinpointing what is it exactly that you want to do, when do you want to achieve this, how do you want to achieve this. Because unless you have those three or four questions answered in your own mind, you will never be able to pinpoint how many people you need. Do you need an office? Do you, can you operate remotely? Do you need cert certain technologies, uh, licenses for technologies? What are you going to do if you can't really answer these questions? I think the second last one is very important. Do you know your break-even map? So unless you've answered these questions previously, you will not be able to also answer your break-even question. Now, this does not mean that every business plan, every financial model, everything has to kind of really show a break-even in quick time. That's not the reason. I think one of the main reasons is it's not about how you, it's not about the money, it's how you think about the money. So as an investor, what, when I question people who are sitting on the other side of the table, typically media entrepreneurs, my intention is not to find fault or praise any of those answers. My intention is to gauge how exactly are you arriving at those answers. It's almost like a case study. In case studies, there are no real answers. But the process of arriving at whatever conclusion you're arriving is the main one. And I think that is exactly how you should approach financial modeling. Investors know that those numbers are most probably not going to come true. But in the scenario and with the limited uh, resources or the limited information that you have at hand, can you make certain assumptions that are as close to the truth as possible? They will never pan out. Don't worry about it. But having those answers and the thought process is the most important one because unless your thought process is right and you can think analytically, logically, kind of pace yourself time-wise, you will never be able to adapt when shit hits the ceiling. I hope that is not being recorded, but <laughs> Translating those goals into measurable numbers, having plan Bs, knowing exactly when you'll run out of money, when will you break even, etc. These are important things. Another important thing, but something which is very micro, is your business pipeline. And this especially goes out for those who are dependent on branded content or very custom sales kind of business models. Your business pipeline. You have to know how full is your pipeline at any point of time on a monthly basis. By that I mean you have to know that if, you, if and when you contact a client, a potential client, how long does it take for you or your team to convert that client into a paying client? Especially for those organizations who are dependent on branded content sales, this is a very important measure to know. And it is also an important measure to know that especially in branded contents, for example, velocity and margin of those revenues. So you can go after a very marquee client. Maybe you've got an offer from IBM to do some branded content transaction of theirs, content deal of theirs. But it comes at a cost of six months of negotiations, visiting 10 different brand managers, and maybe 5% margins. Is that more important to you? Or is during that time, maybe you could have cracked 10 deals worth maybe $10,000 each, but at 40% gross margins. I, that's the trade-off that you need to know. Sometimes having a client like IBM will be good for you because it adds to the velocity of the others, but you have to be very careful. Don't go after showpiece sales items, rather go after things that will keep your company alive. This is one of the reasons why we make business plans and 
the assumptions and everything is that it's not just to showcase to investors. Investors see them, investors see maybe 10 or 15 business plans in detail every week. But it's also a way to kind of keep your own metrics aligned internally. Because when you're making your financial model, you have to know what your market size is. You have to be able to know who your competitors are. I think somebody was mentioning about always placing yourself in the topmost, rightmost quadrant when you're positioning yourself on a, a kind of a two by two or something. Yes, you have to do that. But why are you doing that? Who are your other competitors? I think that's an important one. Second is to ironing out any kinks on your business model. So all of these questions, all of the assumptions, all of the homework that you have to do, and I'll show you a couple of business plans and, and you'll see the amount of detailing that is over there, will force you to ask a lot of questions. And these questions are critical towards answering not just your investors, but even perhaps your co-founders, your employees, other stakeholders. Everybody must know what and which direction your business is heading because it's not just the revenue side that is dependent on your business. There are many vendors who might be associated with your business. Their livelihoods might be associated with your business. So you have to be thinking about the entire ecosystem and stakeholders who are dependent on your business. And that's how you have to be uh, kind of moving forward. Creating a path to viability, I think that's pretty well understood. Internal benchmarks and communicating them, of course, why not? And reducing risks and creating numbers-based decision-making. I think. This is a place where a lot of early stage organizations make mistakes. A lot of early stage decision making, I have noticed, especially financial decision making is based on guts and advice from advisors and advice from perhaps other startup founders, fundraising decisions based on what's fashionable in the market, valuation decisions based on whatever multiple is the most common multiple in the market, you have to reduce those basically word of mouth kind of decision making. Your decision making has to be created based purely on numbers and you cannot get to those numbers unless you've understood your market and unless you've kind of gamed out each and every scenario within your business plan. But before I kind of go into showing a couple of Excel sheets, I don't have too many other slides. I want this to be slightly interactive this point onwards. So I wanted to showcase this business plan. It's a fairly comprehensive one and you'll see why I say so. This is one of the most important sheets you can make in a financial model. It's called assumptions. Everything else in your sheet will flow from assumptions always. And what are your assumptions? You have to think about every little thing that can happen to your business. Annual salary appreciations, what are your tax rates? If you're operating in a different currency and you're raising money from maybe dollar-based investors, what is your exchange rate? How many days does it take for your revenue to get to your books, etc., etc. Now look at the level of detail that you need to kind of think. And for this level of detail, you need to think in advance. Everything from hosting to communication to staff welfare, how much office space or not, employee headcount. I'll show you the employee headcount sheet in a bit. You'll see how detailed it gets over there. Coming down to communication expenses per employee per month, because obviously people are using office phones, office internet, everything. Travel and conveyance, determination of your interest costs, etc. And this flows from 
being able to model out exactly how many people do you need at what point of time. So let's go from the top. Let's say how many people do you need in common functions? How many people do you need for very specific functions? And how do these flow through each and every quarter in your plan? So unless you get into this level of detail, and unless you can also account for what would be your, let's say, starting salary for each position, how that how inflation would affect that salary going into each and every annual period, that's how you kind of drill it down to the best case estimate that you can ever get. Of course, again, I'll reiterate that will never be correct, but at least it will be true to yourself. Sales, marketing, content team, business development team, and then you get into salary workings of each and every position across months and quarters. So the intention with which I wanted to present this sheet is that often you also get sheets like this, where it is done on a yearly basis, but there is no real assumptions behind it. There's no real logic behind it. It's just some assumptions here, some staffing here, and then all of that flows into a PNL. They were kind enough to kind of add some notes to accounts, but really nothing great. When any investor kind of sees this kind of a sheet, and especially since you will be competing against many other clients pitching to investors, many other businesses pitching to investors, you have to make sure that your financial model stands out. Otherwise, those meetings will be just meetings, but they will be not outcome-led. So there'll be a lot of activity. There'll be many meetings because people will want to know how you're thinking. But I mean, why waste time? Why not just get down to business from day one? So this is the level of uh, kind of detailing which kind of gets you, not the money, but let's gets you it at least into some kind of trust zone with the investor. Investors understand that there might be some mistakes here. There might be completely, maybe some salaries might be completely out of whack with the market. Maybe if headcount has been overestimated, doesn't matter. But investors understand that you've put in this homework. You've made the hard effort of thinking it out on multiple lines. And therefore, the trust factor with the investor gets stronger. And as Sasha was saying, I mean, it's a, it's a long song and dance. You have to kind of be engaging with your investors for anywhere between nine months to two years. And this is what gets you down that pathway quicker. If versus the other kind of sheet where you would definitely spend two, three years. This is the fastest route. Any questions at this point? Yeah. This level of detail and precision requires completely different culture and education from what we have as journalists. And uh, getting that is pretty expensive in itself. So couldn't it be offered as a service to small newsroom? The fact that you know you can work with someone who knows how to get there, like many of the words and acronyms that I've been reading here, I don't even know what they mean. You know, And we're already making a, a big effort as journalists to, to try and learn a whole new language, a whole new approach to, 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 to startup work. We're borrowing a lot from the tech culture. And yeah, we're, we're doing that, but this is quite a long extra mile. Yeah. <laughs> you're right, you're right. 
Absolutely right. So it's definitely a learning process. You have to think of it in two ways. One is, yes, there are services. I mean, a lot of incubators provide exactly this kind of incubation as part of their services. So that is one way to look at it. The other way to look at it is if you are a journalist who's turned into an entrepreneur, why did you turn into an entrepreneur? Is because you felt that you had a need gap that you were addressing, right? Now, if you've taken on the onus of being an entrepreneur, it might sound harsh, but you'll have to learn some of these things because your entire organization depends on you as being the founder. And therefore, yes, some sort of reskilling, some sort of all of that is required, but I doubt you'll ever be, I mean, found, being a founder is a lonely business, but you can find people who can help you with these things pretty easily. With geography are you in, for example? Uh, for example, in Southeast Asia, in South Asia, there are a lot of incubators who you could approach. There are lots of financial consultants who work with startups, etc. Uh, and in Southern Europe, and okay. in the British session, we saw that it's already a blind angle. Uh, I can't speak much about Southern Europe, but we're happy to talk it through any point. Yes. In your experience, is this level of detail required both when pitching to a VC and angel? Because we've approached angels and have successfully had two rounds with nothing <laughs> like that. Okay. Do you think that there's a different standard? For Absolutely. So an angel, it's that person's own money. I can do whatever I want. I don't even need to see your plan. If I trust you, I'll give you my money. Being a VC, I'm responsible for the money of many people. And therefore, there is a responsibility, a, a statutory responsibility on my head to be liable for what I'm doing with their money. I have to report back on what I'm doing with their money every quarter. So yes, there is a big difference. This is typically, anytime you approach an institution, doesn't matter at what stage you're in. Of course, the complexity goes up with your stage, but you have to get into details. So just, just to be more detailed about it, it's this year approach, you, would you consider non-profit newsrooms or do you need to see a return on an investment? So does it have to be for profit? Yes. So if you're investing, it has to be a for-profit structure. Okay. If you're making grants, then it can be a non-profit, yeah, not for profit. But if you're making grants, then this conversation is not valid for grant making. This is an investor's conversation. I don't know if it's relevant for the rest of the, the audience, but very often you have to jump from one to the other. So the, the donors, you have a lot of small news from start as non-profit, and the donors say you have to become independent. So in the effort to become independent, you have also to structure yourself a little bit as a for-profit and becoming more and more for-profit. But that also means that you're giving up donors' money because you change even your juridic structure and you're no longer allowed to get donations. So, so, so let, let, me, let me make this easy for you to navigate. Typically in any jurisdiction, even a for-profit can take philanthropic money, but they have to take it as a revenue. So it's now getting accounted in your PNL as a revenue item against which you can offset expenses, etc. etc. Yeah. I mean, at the end of it, if you're profitable on that, then it's taxed. Otherwise, you're not taxed. I mean, any, any institutional investor, as I said. <laughs> any other questions? Yes. Uh, will you share the template online or via email later? This is not public, but I could share something similar with the splice team, and maybe they can then share it. Yeah. Um, uh, I have a question, my dear, that my uh, colleague is 
Sorry? Kind of like every kind of the donors, like the investment funds, they are having investing and priorities. This kind of sector we would like to invest. What is your uh, priorities for your organizations and your donors? Okay, so we are Media Development Investment Fund, we, we invest in impactful newsrooms, we invest in impactful content, content tech, media tech, across geographies. We have portfolio companies in Eastern Europe, South Asia, Southeast Asia, Africa, and Latin America. So, and typically we also straddle various stages of companies, so we have come in at very seed levels also, which is where a company's idea is just about beginning to take shape and they're developing their product. So we have several incubation kind of programs. You can speak to some of my colleagues if you're in this region. We also invest at early stage again, maybe typically pre-series A, series A, but all of it from an impact lens. So that's our forte. Yeah. I was just interested in your perspective around whether you think organizations um, you know, non-profits, we focus a lot on editorial and slightly less on business resilience, which, because we find it easier to get funding for our editorial projects. Um, and I was just wondering whether actually it's more astute to bake in some, whether it's a CFO role or a business planning role into the organisation, um, just looking at some of the... Um, you know, the workings out, how we can show that, but, but also the difficulties of trying to secure funding for that kind of position. So which way would you go? Yeah, so typically, in my experience, uh, I think it all, all depends on the your scale. So if you are a newsroom, let's say five, six people doing very strong editorial, maybe, maybe long form content, which really requires your focus to be completely on editorial and, and you then perhaps you retain your forte, do that. And especially since you're saying you're a not-for-profit, then, then I would say you could outsource a finance function to maybe, there are several CFO for higher kind of firms. But as and when you grow in scale, now let's say tomorrow you were to kind of get a sizable grant from somebody and you were able to grow your organization into 15, then 20, maybe 30 people, all of it editor, sorry, 42. Uh, I think, at, you sh I mean, we could always have this conversation offline, but as a benchmark at this, at this point of time, you should be seriously looking at somebody, not a CFO, but somebody at least heading accounting. CFO could still be outsourced. Um, I just wanted to know your take about uh, the emergence of like independent media or something more like a OPM, one person media or two person media that are emerging right now in the Korean economy. Um, uh, how do you see them as a funder right now? Uh, because most of the time they are operating uh, not really in a, in a structurized uh, way of, uh, you know, like a business. But they have the potential to go to this level of getting funding. Uh, from a funder perspective, uh, what is the gap? And what do you think is the journey? And is it, uh, are there uh, like opportunities? I think there are lots of challenges with the one-person media kind of thing that you're saying, especially as an investor. If I put on my investor's hat, it's extremely challenging to 
back one person simply because it's just one person. I mean, if things go wrong, does that person have the skill set to manage the other part of things? And let's be honest. I mean, if it's a creator, then we are betting purely on the creative aspect of that person and not on the business aspects of that person. Now, it's very rare that a creator would turn out to be an excellent business person and then expand the team, maybe get in a bunch of other creators, create a network, etc. So often what happens is that, at least I'm speaking from some, some examples that we've seen, is that these creators, we, they, they kind of latch on to a larger media organization that wants to create that network effect of cre various creators and then aggregate their audiences. So it works best for creators from that perspective because you get a platform that provides you reach. There's some revenue share. You get the umbrella of working under, you, you remain independent and yet you work under an organizational umbrella which provides you with all the compliances that you require, the regulatory compliances, financial compliances, etc., etc. So at some point, so now you'll have to differentiate between whether this creator is the person who's building this kind of an umbrella organization or is this creator somebody who would rather keep creating or and become part of the umbrella organization? So if this creator is creating, the one creating the umbrella organization, that is the point when I would say that, okay, let's begin talking. And then see through various conversations where this is heading, whether that person is really serious, whether it's moving in the right direction or not. But as of now, I don't have any live examples to share. So you haven't got any success story on how to not at an individual creator level. I mean, because we, as investors, it's very tough to invest in an individual creator. Well, because uh, at the moment, there's a lot of aspirations in that, in that area. And then, uh, for example, in Indonesia uh, right now, there are big uh, media companies that are uh, providing platforms, for example, like giving them uh, some kind of like uh, tools or uh, incentive. But then it's under the big umbrella that uh, there are many creators that uh, that also wants to uh, to create their own umbrella, uh, and then uh, you're trying to find what is the gap and what is what is the either the skill set or the capacity that, that can be uh, applied to this one person. Uh, that could be a model for the future uh, for them to practically scale up. I mean, as, a, as a funder, what is the quality that you think uh, needed for these, these creators to, to lead? What is the? What, what are the qualities that, that are needed for them to lead? So I think partnership mindset, as Sasha mentioned earlier, first of all. On the creator thing, I think I should note that there are some companies from our Indian portfolio who are doing this creator aggregation a bit. You should perhaps definitely be, touch base with them. Uh, that, uh, uh, the point where you are sponsoring or rather funding an idea, it's set capital point. Uh, how long should the idea on its assumption show that it will break even? How many months? There's no thumb rule, very honestly speaking. I think it's the power of the idea and the growth. So the, so the moment you start thinking about how powerful your idea is and the growth that it can bring, I think you'll arrive at your break even pretty soon. But if it's not a powerful idea and it's not going to be adopted by many people and, and or many uh, on the revenue side, you, your break even gets pushed out. Or maybe it could be an idea that requires a lot of costs to implement. Maybe it's in unscalable. 
that also pushes out your break-even. So there's no thumb rule for break-even math. The only thing is that break-even is very simply put, whatever your fixed costs are divided by what you earn as a margin on an ongoing level. So that determines your break-even period. Yeah. So um, I just want to get your sort of uh, thoughts on a lot of things, especially in startups, whether it's a traditional tech startups or a baby startups. The, like what people sort of try to do is as soon as they have an idea, so they start like quickly looking for the funding. Like that's a traditional sort of route. And the second is like you just bootstrap and like start doing other sort of monetization to your services and you know whatnot. And then later on you go to the investors or to the new accelerators. So what would be your advice um, as an sort of investor? Whatever floats your boat. Seriously. So there are two types of businesses. One is a balance sheet business and one is a PNL business. The guys who are raising money are creating a balance sheet business. The guys who are doing bootstrapping are creating a PNL business, which takes time but ultimately gets sustainable in the long run. The balance sheet business could go either way because you've got a lot of money you're spending. Initially, it looks very nice and shiny, but we don't know where it went go. So what are the most creative revenue streams that you found from all this like media initiative, uh, they also have like this business model, how they create their business. Uh, what are the most creative things that you found that they did uh, or like, you know, uh, something uh, un unimaginable before? I'll be unpopular for saying this, but I wish they were creative because media business model has gotten stagnant to a point of just four or five regular business revenue streams and that's it. I wish there were more, there was more creativity happening on that front. Would you say that the streams are popular for or five? What would you list them up? So there's advertising, there's subscription, there's events, there's branded content. There could be something else. There could be social commerce that's picking up now, peer-to-peer -peer commerce. So these are the most usual ones that you'll come across. And I think 99% of business plans, all of them have this. Uh, I think on that, perhaps we'd like to focus something from Sri Lanka, uh, where the founder of Hari TV actually was right next to me. So, uh, in terms of three, we were actually initially looking at social media monetization and, of course, advertising on 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 content, right? But uh, what also it turned out to be was the fact that paid development sector placements really ended up being a huge revenue stream. Sorry, development sector? Placement. Okay. So any civil society content, because there is, the truth is also there is uh, placement budgets that you can actually place within uh, our budgets, right? So especially during COVID and then given the, the kind of uh, content that was being put out, uh, paid development sector placements really became one of the significant revenue streams for, for this. So were you developing content for them or were you just placing it on social media and giving them reach? Both. Okay. Uh, if they wanted to develop, then that's, that's one. But, uh, yeah, that's pretty much, I mean, what branded content deals are also all about at the end of the day. Yes, but, but then is that something that we actually, that you also then look at, you know, something that digital media startups can actively pursue, uh, especially for the civil society mm -hmm. only because... I mean, uh, doesn't matter which sector. I mean, a, a client is a client. Doesn't matter if it's, uh, if you're doing branded content for Baskin Robbins or for UNICEF. How are you approach it? I mean, the talent that you require to write or shoot those pieces will be different. Yes, but 
your processes remain the same. And also your distribution is slightly different, right? Because when you're yeah, but in society, yeah, it's, it's the same revenue stream. So I'm saying it's the same kind of revenue stream. So your effort, your processes, everything remains the same. Perhaps your margins might differ here and there. That also I'm pretty sure it won't be very different. But it's the same branded content revenue stream because that's exactly what branded content is about. Creating pieces and giving them reach. Yeah. So as an investor, uh, would you prefer uh, old schools, whatever the ordinary revenue stream, or you prefer some something out of the box, like something new, in, uh, uh, inventive, what would you prefer? Good question, because as an investor, I have to be neutral about it. The only thing I should be looking at is, as the founder, are you being true to that revenue stream right now? And do you have the mental, mind, mental makeup to pivot into a new stream later on, as and when required? So I will not judge you for selling ads just because crypto is in, but do you have the mental makeup to move to that when it is required is what I will be gauging. So, so, so social commerce is basically people peer to peer selling basically. No, I, I that, that's why I said I didn't want to start off with that. But, uh, but I think that you know, you have to provide yourself for your brand. You have to know how much money you have in the bank in order to pay your rent and get your food. It's the same discipline, just a little bit higher level. And I'm not trying to minimize it because I totally agree with you, journalists are not trained for that. And when I, I was a journalist when I saw these, I, I couldn't be bothered. Right? But at the end of the day, your hard work and determination will only survive if you know how to keep the doors open. Whatever that is, it could be a grant, it could be investment, it could be whatever. So when I saw everybody's faces, because like, <laughs> oh, you know. No, so, you know, I mean, it doesn't matter what that Excel sheet looks like, as long as you have all the details covered, seriously. So don't go by the form, go by, the details, the number of lines. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I think that there are you, and you might use other terminology. That's also perfectly fine, as long as people understand it. That's about. Yeah, yeah. I think it's a it's a matter of stages, probably. Yeah. Like, you know, the diversification from being a purely editorial based, grant sustained, non profit organization to becoming a, 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 a I don't know. I think that we're aiming at a hybrid. Uh, between the two because as, as much as this is very interesting and, and also exciting and yeah, a bit scary, but we, we count on the fact that we can get external help, there is still a level of, you know, journalism is a, is a public service. It should be partially funded, not for the returns, at least partially, right? Like, isn't it? Yes, maybe. Can, can it become fully for profit if it has to retain its I think that's a different philosophical question right now. But I think if, whether you are fully for-profit or fully not-for-profit or hybrid or any kind of organization, the organizational discipline is 100% necessary for you to keep succeeding. So, uh, you said before that MBIF is more about impact yes. investments. So can you tell us about what kind of impact Okay, so on a, I can speak about impact on a very uh, broad level because 
I don't specialize in the impact measurement at MBIF. But typically what we look at is, can you, can you create good journalism, impactful content that serves to build free and thriving societies consistently? Can you get that out to as many people as possible? So reach matters. Your edit, quality of editorial, quality of, quantity of reach, quality of reach, the engagement, how many other people perhaps uh, cite you, th these things like these, your typical, how do you gauge impact in editorial? It's the same thing how we gauge the entire organization. And of course, financial discipline, compliance with, uh, with all forms of laws, I think uh, gender equality within your organizations, all of these point towards the kind of impact we want to make. What's he doing best in whether it's a media startup or whatever? What level of reporting do you expect then moving forward once that investment is going? Fair bit. <laughs> <laughs> it depends. Uh, it depends. Uh, sometimes if it's very early stage companies, we are happy with quarterly. Okay. But if you're at a certain stage, let's say you're five years into your business and you've raised a significant amount of money from either us or somebody else. I think any investor would expect a monthly kind of a reporting. So thank you, everyone. Thanks. You've been listening to a session recording from Splice Beta 2022. Let us know what you think. You'll find us at spicemedia.com. This is a Splice podcast produced by Norman Chella at Podchaser. We'd like to thank our sponsors, Google, International Fund for Public Interest Media, International Media Support, Conrad Adenauer Stiftung, Luminate, Media Development Investment Fund, Netta, and Telemedia. This is Splice.